Welcome to the first episode of Metro Paratalks, where we talk to interesting people, I hope, from the audio drama and actual play scene. I'm David, and you probably maybe know me from my role as Zach on um, like our actual play story called Lightning in a Bottle. And I'm here today to talk to Marlo Bogges. Did I pronounce that right? Okay, yeah, I'm here to talk great. to Marlo Bogges. Yeah, and she's the editor and cast member of Sins of the Father, um, an actual play podcast um, using the D&D 5e system. But I think you can probably introduce yourself like a bit better than I can, right? <laughs> sure. It's not like I've been doing it my whole life or anything. <laughs> so I'm Marlo. Like David said, I am a player and editor for Sins of the Father. I have been playing TTRPGs for 13 years. I have been editing those for probably nine months i've been the editor i think full time of that show might have been a little bit longer than that and uh i am the player also i play yuvalia um a spunky bard she is 13 years old or is it 14 i think it's 14 it's been a while since i've played her um <laughs> and uh i uh have so much fun with it i love it and um yeah I think the setup of, you know, Sense of the Father is something we, we shouldn't gloss over because I think it's kind of unique in that you're, you know, you're all children or, or young adults looking for your, your father and it's this kind of coming of age story, right? Right, correct. So the kids all independently. Now, I know I'm not telling David, I know you, you, you're a listener and, and I much appreciate that. Um, <laughs> but for the listener, we are kids. Uh, we are going out on a journey. We have stunted stats. So we are way less powerful than we ought to be. And I say that because I still think Yabo is like over the top. He's our barbarian and I still think he's great and does amazing, even though his he's a little bit stunted with his stats too. So since they are all within that teenage range, it's young not it's not even young adult. It's they're all teenagers. Um every fight that we do feels like a struggle. Um you really are feeling these kids are scared when they fight. And in addition to that, it's really role play heavy. You know, if your kids, you're not going out there looking for trouble like an adventurer might, you really are just trying to find your dad. And I think I'm going to I'm gonna use this to like hopefully cleverly do a transition into what I actually want to talk about today, <laughs> namely editing. And I think like you said, like every fight feels like a struggle. I think your editing really helps sell that because like at times, not only does it almost like strays into, into audio drama parts at times where you get like the really, um, you know, heavy sound design or um like just effects in the background um it also really helps like sell the mood for me like it feels really eerie and almost scary at times so it really helps you know selling this journey of kids um in over their head was that like a goal for you yes so i would say for me the biggest thing is the music and any sort of ambient noise that goes on behind whatever we're saying you know the sound effects and everything do add that extra element for me, if you don't put those types of things in there to kind of get that that real fight for your life thing, you're not going to get there. And I think we can describe what we're doing all day long, and I can tell you how to feel all day long. But unless I give you the tools to feel that way, you're not going to feel that way as a listener. So I guess it kind of comes back to that, you know, I'm a writer. It's one of the things I do. Show, don't tell. So in this, I say, listen, don't tell. So I'm not going to tell you, this is dire. Our kids are in trouble. I'm going to play suspenseful 
terrible music for you and you're going to be on the edge of your seat hoping to god these these young people don't die here so i think it's it's something that's so key that's a really interesting like uh, approach you said that you only started editing nine months ago how right. did you you know how did you get started did you have any training in this so I am by trade an accountant. So I am I have a master's degree in accounting and I don't have any training in audio engineering, editing, podcasting before we started on Sins of the Father. Let me say it that way. I maybe took a multimedia class when I was in high school and I will age myself and say that was probably 2006. So Yeah, I'm I'm nearing 30 here. It's it's a sad time. But um <laughs> so no, I don't I didn't have any formal training in any of it. I had one person and one of my easily becoming one of my very good friends, David White. He is the producer for the Misconceptions Podcast Network and he is the editor of our sister show, Misconceptions. And I think that show is a perfect case study. If you're trying to look at how do you make a show go from something you and your friends are sitting around a table making to something that sounds great and has those feels to it. David showed me the basics. He walked me all through it. He put videos up on our Google Drive for me. I met, would message him at 2 a.m. when I was fretting over something that I thought I did wrong. And he was really my mentor in all of this. When I was coming in for this, I told him, I was like, look, you know, you you really got me here and I'm thankful for that. And he said, you picked it up on your own and you've taken it to a level that, you know, yes, do I think David's putting out great content? Yes, I do. I think for me, the show that I'm telling is a very different show than their show. I'm doing different work than they're doing. And I think David is the only way that I could have gotten to where I am today. So shout out, David, I know you're going to listen to this and I love you very much. And thank you for everything you've done for me. I, that was long-winded. Did I answer your question? Yes, I think you did. <laughs> and I can only agree, David is a lovely person. We talked and we were still talking because our actual play story, Lightning in a Bottle, is also um, a City of Mist actual play cast. And yeah. Mist Conception is probably the oldest City of Mist actual play podcast out there. It's really like a pillar of the community. Like right. You can't get around it if you're in there. And he helped us out like quite a bit with a few questions when we were starting out. Mm -hmm. And we're still, you know, um, working on some things. It's a bit difficult looking as, you know, he's from America and our team is kind of strewn across the globe. Mm -hmm. But yeah, for the listeners who are like maybe excited, do check out Misconceptions and um, yeah, keep an, keep an ear out for, for David appearing on something of ours. I would love to interview him someday, but I like to um, actually listen to the stuff the people I talk to make. And uh -huh. Misconceptions is not an, um, <laughs> not an easy <laughs> listen. Right, right. It's pretty high up there. I think I'm on like episode 47 because when I listen to this show, I want to be able to listen to it in depth because I know all of these folks and I love all of these folks that are playing. And so it's one of those things like if I'm not able to focus on it totally, I don't want to listen to it because I want to get everything I can out of it. Yeah. So definitely just to like kind of clarify you, you had no editing. The first episode of Sins of the Fathers was your first try editing ever. Right. So I think, and if I'm remembering this correctly now, now David may come back and tell me differently because um, he may remember it better. But I think if I'm remembering correctly, I think he did the first episode and then I started on the second and I, on the second, I did the first cuts. So 
our process is pretty in depth, but I did first cuts, which are basically talking, people talking over each other, kind of separating those messages, cutting out excess noise, syncing up the audio, which I mean, you would do before you did any of that other stuff. And I did all of that and then gave him a file. And then he did all of the actual putting in of the sound and sound effects and all of that. I think it was the third episode, which I think is the one where the kids are in the sewer, was the one that I did from start to finish for him. So, yeah. I think I can see that because I feel like the if it is the sewer episode, and I think it is, I feel like the, the episodes where the four children venture into these sewers is the mm -hmm. first one where you get that, you know, almost like audio play-esque feel where you right. have these like real hard focus on the background music, like setting the tone and then some sound effects to kind of accentuate the action or the like what is going on. So that's... Right. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's really impressive. I gotta say, I had like I had the fortune to have had some training in audio editing just from university before I went into um, doing this kind of stuff for fun. Mm -hmm. And I I feel like I still like struggled quite a lot and had mm -hmm. to figure out a bunch of stuff. And I'm still like listening to other shows and trying to like how how are people doing this? This sounds so right. good. Right. <laughs> so I think that's. <laughs> really interesting that is definitely something that has drawn me to sins of the father because mm -hmm. it sounds so you know so polished and mm. then when i found out that there isn't like a production team behind it it's just you mm -hmm. that just really interested me further <laughs> right do you have is there anything that that is an inspiration to you that you like kind of looked up to you already mentioned misconceptions of course but anything else I'm going to be honest. So when I was asked to be a part of Sins of the Father, I really wasn't listening to actual plays. I wasn't, I listened to a lot of other podcasts, like narratives and nonfiction and horror and talk show type. I've been listening to podcasts like intensely for maybe five years. So for me, one of the very first podcasts I ever got into was uh, Welcome to Night Vale. And I'm not sure if you're, are you familiar with them? Yes. I, yeah. I want to check that out. I'm currently binging the Magnus archives. And after that, it's right on my, on my to-do list. Yeah. And so other ones, so that was the very first one that got me into podcasts ever. And I've seen their live show just as an aside. And if you ever get a chance to go to one of their live shows, perfect. Like <laughs> Cecil is amazing in person, just as amazing as he is on the podcast. So if, you know, anyway, I could talk about them all day and if I could really meet them or, you know, get to like experience some of their production, that would be great. But the other ones I've listened to, like the Pacific Northwest stories, they have like black tapes, Tannis. I'm a huge horror fanatic. So anything that's horror or creepy in any way, I love it. Um, and then as far as like talk showy type things go, I'd been listening to last podcast on the left. Um, those guys are hilarious and very off color sometimes, but um, amazing. The whole point to what I'm saying is there wasn't many actual plays in there. None of those things are actual play podcasts. And I don't have, I think coming from a narrative based, that being maybe my inspiration is what kind of pushed me to make Sins of the Father episodes the way that they are. And I think on top of that, I think, you know, again, you know, to your point, misconceptions really kind of pushed me forward into that because it wasn't until I started editing that I really started listening to Misconceptions. I had picked up a couple episodes, um, but again, it's like I was saying, it's kind of a case study for actual play podcasts. You, you're going from people just playing at a table together to this fully edited production. Um, and so those first episodes, they're amazing and they're great role playing, but the production value and the audio quality is not what it is now. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> 
No, that's interesting. I think like the you know the the audio drama inspiration is is pretty clear in Sins of the mm -hmm. Father. That is something I I really like about it because as much as I enjoy you know the a lot of actual play podcasts sound like you're you're sitting at the table with a bunch of friends and it really captures that feeling of playing tabletop role playing games. And then there are some. I feel like there's like I feel like they're probably getting like more, more and more, like by the by the year, I guess, that sound, you know, a bit more polished. That sounds so, I don't want to attach like a judgment to it. It just sounds less like you're actually at a table. Um, so for example, I'd probably say Rude Tales of Magic, if you listen to that. That's a super popular one. It's very funny. That almost just sounds like edited improvisation. Like they're playing D&D, but it, if you'd listen to that, you had no idea how, um, you know, D&D &D would actually work. And then yeah, there's stuff in the middle. And I think, you know, Sins of the Father, as much as I can see your audio drama influences, there are also these nuggets of just banter at the table. Is that a conscious decision to leave that in? I think so. I think um, as a group, we have a really great dynamic. And I think it injects that little bit of we are friends at a table. Now this might sound polished and be polished, but we we are truly friends. I mean, at a virtual table because we're all, you know, in different locations and stuff. But I think that that adds to the charm of it. And it was something that when, when David and I had the discussion about what the vision of the show was, he said, I want it to sound like friends at a table. So if we cut up and joke and we tell a joke, to me, that adds to the enjoyment of whoever's listening, you know, and that kind of gives you the feel of these people are not just friends. They're kind of like my friends, too, because I'm in on the joke, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, you add that, like that kind of parasocial relationship that adds to the charm. Our story, Lightning in a Bottle, I didn't even realize it at first, but I edit very rigorously. So I come from a the way I learned audio editing was doing journalistic pieces and they had to be very short. So you edit everything out that's not necessary. You just focus on the best pieces. You polish them as much as you can. You get it like as short as you possibly can. And then you have like the pearl or or like your piece. <laughs> that's also kind of how I, how I ended up editing Lightning in a Bottle. And so it doesn't sound like sometimes it doesn't even sound like people playing at all. Like I've become over the, the few episodes we've released, I think we are up to seven now we've had a few problems if anyone's listening to this i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> stuff has happened yeah so i've become more conscious of that and i am aiming you know towards the audio drama direction but i think it's like again something that makes sense of the father interesting because on the one hand it's so polished like you have these set pieces that sound very for lack of a better term cinematic venturing into the sewer fighting the tentacle uh, monster and then you have these especially at the start end and mid section of the cast you have these you know sections of you just riffing at each other it's a very enjoyable up and down yeah first of all thank you i, I appreciate all of that i think I noticed because I listened to Metro Paranormal and I'm not all the way through it. I think I got about halfway through. I noticed it, it came off more like an audio drama, which I appreciate. I, I do struggle with some actual plays because I think there's a lot of focus on mechanics. For us, I want you to hear the dice roll because I want you to, rem to remind you that we're playing a game. But I'm not going to get into talking about, oh, what modifier do I add? And oh, is that a this check or is it a that check? Well, I thought it would be this. So I cut out a lot of that because we do 
I wouldn't say argue, but we do disagree um, on things sometimes, or I have to correct and talk someone through, oh no, that's not a cantrip. That's a first level spell. So, you know, and so those are the kind of type of discussions I don't want the players to get bogged down in. And I think for us, the way we were going, we've got a happy medium of that. You know, I think we're five pretty funny folks. We've all got different senses of humor. And at this point, it feels like we're, these are my brothers. And if I was sitting down at the table with my brothers and arguing with them about, you know, whether they noticed my hair today or what, you know, so it's just, it's something that it, I don't know, I was telling someone the other day, it felt like the stars aligned. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a religious person, but if I believed in fate, I think this would have been fated. And I think it was just because like, we've got this sort of dynamic going. I found this sort of skill that I didn't really realize I had or knew. And part of that is perfectionism, I will say, <laughs> to kind of do it over and over again until I get it right. So yeah, I feel that. And I really, I like Metro Paranormal. I don't know. I Again, because like I said, I, I'm not actual plays. I don't listen to very many of them. I've got you guys and then I've got our show, obviously, which I'm obsessed with. But <laughs> and then I and then I've got the uh, misconceptions. So someday I'm going to get to play a City of Mist podcast since all of my favorite actual plays are City of Mist. But <laughs> oh, that's 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 really like really really nice, and I love that we're just congratulating ourselves in all seriousness. I am or we are, you know, aiming towards the audio drama niche, I guess, like the intersection of of audio drama and actual play, because. I feel like the the friends at the table feel has been captured so well that there wasn't really anything I felt I could add to that. I don't right. I feel like I consider myself I guess I think I am I'm decent at improvisation. I don't think I'm I'm like a hugely funny person as opposed to I don't know if you know them like control group who are a group of comedians checking out like systems with mini campaigns and they're super funny. So I feel like when listening to them I'm just like oh I'm joking around you know they're they're funny guys. I'm I'm <laughs> like listening to them. I'm having a good time and I don't think I could like add anything to that that hasn't been done a thousand times. Right. But I feel like the kind of the intersection between audio drama and actual play hasn't really been explored that much yet. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think that's what we're kind of trying to do. And I think you, I think Sense of the Father is like the perfect example. If, if I had to teach a class about that, which fingers crossed, I guess, <laughs> I would great. choose... I would choose Sins of the Father as like uh -huh. an example because it's just like such a clear juxtaposition a lot of the time of very, very audio drama-esque, very edited, very polished, and then mm -hmm. still just a group of people I would probably have fun with just, you know, <laughs> playing a couple games right. with. I was wondering, since you brought up City of Mist, City of Mist, like we went for that pretty deliberately, not only because we like the system, but also because mm -hmm. it's very narrative-based. D&D 5e is not that, <laughs> no. I think. How do you, you know, how do you handle that in editing? But I also guess like in play, how do you make that into a, into like this polished thing? So I think our cast is really good about the theatrics of it and delivering lines and describing Because I think with 5e especially, it is very easy to do a dice roll and say, I, su I succeeded or I failed. So one of the biggest pushes that we have had is describing what that success looked like. Maybe I failed. So maybe I tripped and fell and fell on my behind or something. So, you know, we have done very well to kind of push up the theatrics of that and talk through it. And even if one of us says, oh, okay, well, I'm going to cast this. Well, how do you cast it? Or what do you do? And flavoring up those spells, because you can read any day 
what something like Eldritch Blast is supposed to look like, but what does my character cast it like? Because it would be like, I think of it like a Patronus in Harry Potter. You know, like you're going to cast this. It's going to look different than what everybody else does because it's you. So the first thing I would say is I think the cast does great at that. And um, I love all of them. And, and we've really pushed each other to be as good as we are. And I think we naturally were pretty damn good to start with. But I think on top of that, cutting is, I mean, literally, it's just cutting because there are times when you know, you roll and you might roll again and then you have to add your modifiers and it's math. Nobody wants to hear the math of it. Nobody wants to hear, oh, you have to roll 3d6 or whatever. So cutting that those pieces out and putting in what was relevant to the discussion or what was funny. So that's what I'm looking for. Is it relevant or is it funny? It might not be relevant, but is it funny? You know, <laughs> those are the kind of things that, that I think we do to make 5e a little more palatable to listen to. <laughs> I think what comes to my mind is, like, to applaud him again, David is really good at coloring out his spells. I don't think I've ever, you know, I've played in a bunch of D&D games. I don't think I've ever thought about a lot of the basic spells the way he does. Just the, the verbal components. Mm -hmm. I still haven't quite figured out what he's shouting, but yeah. it, it definitely <laughs> works for me. It's a lot of fun. Right. Uh, I haven't figured out the meaning in everything that he's saying either, and I. But I think it's great. His use of words in Rickett spells are really, really great. Um, one of the things that I think for like for me being another primary spellcaster in there has been describe it as a song because you're playing a bard. A bard's going to use their music to cast the spell. So what song would she play, and what would that sound like? And then what we do is we keep any time that someone casts a spell, we keep that sound effect or whatever it is or that song or that piece of a song to put it back in so there's consistency you hear that same song again oh she's casting distant whispers again you're going to hear that same bit of music oh he's casting feather fall again you're going to hear that same piece so and then i also try to think about who's the character right is ricket going to cast something that's going to sound like scary and terrifying or something that's cute like cute probably um so you know flavoring that stuff up and making it good it, it's part of its editing but at, at, you know you're to your point david really does that well and i think his his excellence as a role player has really pushed us forward i would say i mean i i know everyone's great and uh is theatrical and and puts everything forward but yeah to your point david phew, he's great about that <laughs> i think you're all great role players too you know I especially, I forgot his name. I'm terrible with names, but the player who um, plays Yabo, I, uh -huh. <laughs> I could listen to him all day long. He is really good. So I, I did never met um, Jacob. His name is Jacob. Um, I've never, I'd never met Jacob before we did Sins of the Father. In fact, I had never met any of the cast before we did Sins of the Father. So the kind of tale behind the inception of it is that we had a different DM at the start. I mean, this is something we're very open about. Phil is a good friend of ours, and um, he put together this great cast of folks. Um, and I was surprised when he asked me, but he put us all together and I had never met any of them before. Now, there are times we probably could have met and people that we know in common, uh, but David and Jacob and I are all from the same area of Texas and lived probably within 30 minutes of each other. So we probably, we knew some of the same people we probably should have met, but we never did. And Jacob blew me away. Now, Jacob is a theater person. He actually was in a show before the COVID thing. I think they ended up having to cut short the play, uh, but he was in Little Shop of Horrors. He played Seymour. So, I mean, you know, this he's great. And his theatrical, like his ability to just like, those times when he sounds far away, I didn't do that. He did that. He will lean his head back and do the yabo thing. <laughs> and it's just amazing. Like, I, I, 
I am so glad that Phil brought us together and I miss him a ton doing this. And I still talk to him, but he picked some great folks. I did not expect it to go as well as it did. And it really did. So I agree. That's interesting. I would have like, if you had asked me, I would have said you probably been friends like for a longer time because the folks on our show, like Metro Paranormal, we didn't know each other that long before we, we started recording. And I think maybe it's just me, but I think you hear that. You hear um, us kind of like warming up to each other. And we are kind of going for a different style anyway. Like as much as I love what we're doing, I wouldn't call us fun or funny. <laughs> I guess you can have a fun fun time with it, but it's more like, well, <laughs> we, aren't, we aren't aiming for, for funny, I guess. Or mm. I guess I, I kind of am. I play like the I never do well bartender with um, <laughs> some some wings. Uh, and he's like kind of the the jokester, but I I usually get like the the stone faced um, replies. It actually kind of hurts. I get sometimes <laughs> it's not even. Sometimes I edit out the the funny chuckles just to make it a little bit more atmospheric. But sometimes everyone's just so into it that I'm like, guys, wasn't that wasn't that funny? That was a funny one liner, and I'm just left hanging because everyone's so serious and it's like a super serious situation and uh -huh. my character is the only one not taking it seriously. <laughs> I feel like that happens to me sometimes. And I think, and then I listen to recordings and it happens to all of us where we all just kind of like keep rolling instead of like laughing, like, because, and I don't know if you guys do this, but we do video too. So, so, so visual cues don't pick up in the audio. So we may all have went like, ha, like, but you don't hear it. So that's something that, they are so funny and I wish I was as funny as them because they are just like out of this world hilarious. And I, I feel like I'm like, oh, you guys are amazing. Um, but, you know, maybe that's biased. <laughs> <laughs> Your character is definitely not the like not the funny one. You've kind of fallen into the arm trap, I would call yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. There always has to be one character and, and you have to be very careful. If you aren't like fast enough, you, you, you tend to fall in like the, oh, I have to take care of everyone. And then, right. you know, you, you get set into that role. And that's one of the things that, you know, when I came up with her as a character, I didn't really, I didn't really have a clear line of who she was going to be in the dynamic of the group. I just knew she was this girl who was trying to find her place in the world. And Everyone else did a really great job of being like, you know, Vartash is the, you know, snarky rich kid, which is I love a great dynamic. You know, you've got uh, Yabo, who is this over the top barbarian who isn't familiar with societal norms or like things go over his head. And then you've got Rickett, who is the kid. You know, he's the one who is not sure of himself, who's very insecure, you know, at least it seems. Yavalia fitting into that group dynamic was something that I struggled with because she's the only girl in the group. You know, she is the, you know, I wouldn't say token female. I think that's kind of negative, but she is the one girl who's fallen into this. So who is she? What is she? What does she want? And there have been lots of discussions about where she goes next and what she does and how she interacts with other characters, because that's something that I wanted. I don't want her to be the mommy necessarily all the time. You know, I do like her standing up for Rickett, I think, because Rickett is a sweet little boy wizard. <laughs> That's all he needs. But, you know, it's something that largely we've had a lot of discussions about and I've had a lot of discussions with them about like, does this sound like a conversation they might have or is this something, you know, that we might be able to work in or, you know. So we do have a lot of discussions, I think. But yeah. I think she's a very... um 
how do I phrase this adaptive character? She has, I'd say she's more faceted than a lot of the other ones. So the, the three of them are very set in their roles. And Ivalia seems like she can kind of twitch it up from scene to scene a bit. Like she she kind of fits in with everyone. Like she's just nice. She gets along with everyone. So she, she isn't like, what's it called? Like a social chameleon. But when she's around Yabo, she's a bit more, you know, easygoing. And when she's around Ricket, she starts being a little bit, a bit more sensitive. Mm. I definitely get the feeling, and I, I like that a lot about her, that she isn't this set stereotype. And that was kind of the thing, that was one of the things that I realized about the other folks is that they are, I wouldn't say a trope, I think that's a nasty way to say it, but I do think they are more pointed characters. They have a role and they play it, and they play it very well. For me, when I created Yavalia, I created myself. I'm going to be honest. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out who I am as a young woman. And I think most women go through that. But being a part of the LGBTQ community, being a part of, you know, most of my friends are dudes and having female friends is harder for me because I don't always connect with them in the right ways. So Yavalia is, (laughs) I don't know how to say it, she's me. And I wanted this to be a journey for her, not to, you know, have the, the tropes of being the mom character or have the tropes of being you know, pairing up with one of the boy characters because that's what all female characters do. She is somebody who is headstrong, who is spunky, who cares a lot about the people around her and is adaptive to situations, um, to your point, and is smart and is kind and, and is all of these things. I wanted to create someone real, someone that you felt like you would you would know her. I mean, you know, you could know a kid that's just like Yvalia growing up, you know, and what you said really resonates with me, and I appreciate that that's your your viewpoint and the way that you you see it. It's really thoughtful, and um, I appreciate it. Yeah, I agree. I think it makes her more real that she isn't. She feels like the the most kid of the kids, if you know what right. I mean. Like she isn't a set personality yet. She's still kind of trying to figure out where she is. And I think you know, I certainly do do that of creating characters that are kind of facetious of my of myself. Mm-hmm. Like for example, Zach, um, you know, he he has huge family family issues. Like um, his father just died, and I I made that character like we from our DM Alex, who's probably gonna listen to that, uh, and he's also amazing, and I'm very <laughs> thankful for all his work. And I wouldn't be here without him. We got kind of like a a setup of you know the mysterious death of a local billionaire, and mm-hmm. then I went for oh, what if I played you know his um his son who has just like lost his father, and I didn't even realize like like until later that oh shit wait that's just like me (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i think we i am i think we all do that of like kind of you know building these these characters where we kind of like can play out different aspects of ourselves Mm -hmm. and i think it's really yeah i think it makes ivalia really really real realer than than all the all the others i'd even say like without taking away (laughs) anything from them right right yeah and that's that's kind of the thing is I think in character creation, two different methods you can take. I'm interested to see how their characters grow because I'm already seeing growth in a character like Vartosh. He is already more accepting of us being that we're humans and they live in this world of, or at least he started out in this city where humans are treated like less than. Second class citizens, basically. Yeah. Yeah, lower caste, basically. And so I'm already seeing growth there. I'm already seeing growth in Yabo as he moves forward and looks for his father, but he's kind of mentoring Rickett. He's kind of taking a care for someone else. And I think that's amazing. Um, And I see Rickett coming more into himself. And each of them is growing in a way, but I think it's 
it's interesting. And, and that's kind of the beauty of it being kids is that, you know, if you're playing with full grown adventurers, they probably come into it knowing who they are and they're probably going to grow, but not as much as you do. I mean, gosh, you probably know this, you know, when you, when you're, you know, 10 and 12 and 15, the, the growing that you do between those times and your early to mid twenties is it's massive, right? I'm the biggest proponent of that. I don't feel like until I'm nearing my thirties that I'm really becoming the person who I truly am, you know? And I think that's amazing. Yeah, definitely. And I think that that's also, you know, something kind of special about Sins of the Father. I don't know a lot of shows that, you know, play kids and are so like in, in essence coming of age stories. You know, it may be on its surface about finding fathers, but I feel like it's pretty clear. It's actually about, you know, the kids growing up and kind of growing into themselves. Right. Um, and I don't think like you, you like, I don't think I've seen that explored a lot. Like you either have the, you know, you have the, the adult adventurers or you have the kind of stranger things like mm -hmm. narrative where it's just children. But I don't think I've seen a lot of shows about growing up. So I think that's, that's another thing that's like really, this is very, it's an intersection kind of of like many different things that, that right. I like about this show that like come right. together, which I think like is very interesting. But to kind of loop around back to actually talking about editing, because I do <laughs> want to talk about editing because, well, obviously it's dear to my heart because I, you know, I spent so much time editing and then you, you never really get to talk to it about with a lot of people. I feel like a lot of people probably don't, don't see the, the work an editor does. Mm -hmm. What is something that, you know, that really annoys you about the editing process? I'm sure that there has to be something. Um, yeah, I would say for me, the thing that annoys me the most is noise. Um, so we are pretty good about trying not to be make extraneous noises while we're recording for the most part. But there's things like someone will inadvertently leave their fan on, which mine's on. Hopefully it doesn't affect your audio quality here. You know, things like someone will leave a fan on and it clicks through the whole recording or the dog will bark in the middle of it when you're saying a line. Like those are things that either you can't control or were a total accident. And those are the things that get on my nerves the most because I literally can't do anything about them. I can't coach a player to shut their dogs up. You know what I mean? Like we can stop recording at that point and you can go shut the dog up. But, you know. I can't, I can't control when your dog's going to bark. Right. So, and I think that kind of is a testament to those separate audio tracks that we talked about. You know, if, if you're recording separate audio tracks, you get the ability to cut that out without it ruining other people's lines. Um, and you can always re-record the one that they got barked over, you know, so it's things like that, those almost out of control situations that, that annoy me the most because I'm a control freak. So <laughs> I think that's a really useful quality to have as an editor. <laughs> being a control freak no i get i get what you mean i have i have cats and so i don't think they've ever interfered with a recording of metro paranormal but mm. i know that for work i was doing an interview once and my cat <laughs> can open doors so uh -huh. i was like talking talking to the guy like you know recording stuff i don't even remember what it was for and my cat was like bursting into my room and then <laughs> wanting something probably being fed of course as always <laughs> like meowing at me <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to like get away from my interview and then feed my cat just so I can continue. <laughs> <laughs> Probably even more than stuff like that. I hate mouth noises. It's just, I don't know why I can't listen to them. It, it's like uh, nails on a chalkboard. Like I've tried to look up ways to to train myself and I guess others not to, to make them. But I, it's a fact of life and they're horrible. 
I think so. And I think one of the biggest things that, because you're right, I can't stand that. And it's even worse. Like if someone inadvertently like starts chewing gum or eating on recording, like literally I'm coming for you if you do that. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I agree. You know, those little sort of noises that your mouth makes that you aren't aware that you're making until you record it and you have to listen to it. Yeah. I think it plays into the, you know, the being a perfectionist because <laughs> a lot of the times those tiny things are are stuff you just can't can't get rid of. Right. You know, like the the dog barking or the cat um, bursting into my door. You know, mm-hmm. you notice that. You can like, okay, guys, let's pause for a few minutes. I I've got to feed my cat, but your mouth just kind of does disgusting noises sometimes. And there's really no way that I know of. If someone does, please uh, enlighten me to get rid of them. Yeah. And I know that people, there's like, you can do like noise gates and stuff. And if those sounds Mm. are low enough, they won't pick up. But then you end up cutting, it ends up sounding so robotic because you don't get the breath and you don't get like, if the air is buffeting, it won't pick that up unless you're talking and then it picks up every sound that's going on. So it gives a sort of like choppy quality to the audio. And I've yet to find a really good like breaking point for that to where, because either way you're going to get those type of type of noises. It's going to happen. It's just it, noise gates don't work for me. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I'm not a fan of noise gates. I've seen people remove like some frequencies. Like I've heard the the argument that like the clicking noises are like in the in the very higher frequencies that our voice doesn't actually reach and then you can just cap it off at a certain frequency, but I don't uh-huh. I haven't been able to do that. Mm-hmm. Audition is still a a mystery to me in, <laughs> in many ways. Uh-huh. What do you use for editing just out of personal interest? I use GarageBand. I was working when I first started on a Mac from 2012. And I think it had like, it was abysmal. It was a pro, but it was a pro from 2012. So it was just, it was slow and garbagey. I mean, I recently upgraded to a new pro, but yeah, I'm, GarageBand is what we're using. And I, I'm so used to it now. Like I've looked at other things and I'm like, uh, much like GarageBand. <laughs> is that a free program? Uh, yeah, for Mac. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Yeah. I am I'm a huge Windows user, I guess. Or mm-hmm. I'm not huge into Windows. I just always have used Windows. So I'm kind of used to that. I used to use Audacity, if you know that. That's kind of like the free uh, Windows editing tool. But I switched to Audition because Audacity is it's good, but when you get a lot of tracks and I tend to get a lot of tracks because we're for, you know, people recording and then there's tracks for sound and tracks for music and tracks for intro and tracks for outro and stuff like that and when you get like to the the six seven eight tracks audacity really you know gets kind of messy and audition is it's just so clean and user-friendly most of the time (laughs) (laughs) sometimes it's just uh it's oh i could talk about this for hours like i was editing the the newest episode which is going to come out soon and i was trying like to do noise reduction and it would work really, like, really well, actually. Like, it would get rid of all the noise, but then it would just stop. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things that someone asked me recently, like, do you have any tips and stuff like that? And one of the things I said is expect for technical problems. Expect to have to re-record lines. Expect to have to re-record whole episodes. That's something that's going to happen to you. It's not a question of will or won't it. It's when. When you got four people recording on separate devices, you are playing a game of 
chance every single time. Is my computer going to shut down? Is it going to randomly stop recording? Is my mic going to become detached? Is it, am I going to end up recording all on computer audio? There are so many things that you just have to expect. It's going to be a thing. Did you have to re-record an episode? Yes, we have had to re-record. It was not of this version of Sins of the Father. It was the first ones. On that one, we had recorded four episodes when we were playing with our first DM. And one of them had to be totally re-recorded because Christian's audio, something was up with his computer and it like... It did some sort of weird business with the audio track itself. It sounded like garbled garbage. And um, so we had to re-record one episode. And I do not believe we've had to do that with this iteration. But I have had moments where, like when I was working on my old Mac, the last 15 minutes of the episode, my audio just stopped. It just stopped recording. But luckily I was editing and there was enough. I could, I could hear. So this is at a point where I could hear my own audio through someone else's Because it's like their sound spillage out of their headphones was going through their mic and I could hear it. So I could hear myself through theirs. I just amped theirs all the way up and then re-recorded my lines in line with those. It was a weird, like, it's an annoying thing, but it was the th it worked for this. So, Do you know what episode that was? I believe it's, I think it's up. Um, it's one of the Trove episodes. Oh, okay. I haven't listened to those. I, I think I'm like halfway through the first episode. So, okay. I was just curious. Like I would have not noticed. Luckily, we haven't had to re-record anything, but we've recorded pretty far ahead. Like we, I have three sessions or something I like haven't even touched yet. And every time I open a new session, I am praying from the depth of my heart that everything is all right, because it's been like two months since we recorded that and if we have to redo this now everyone's gonna hate me yeah <laughs> right and it's like then you're trying to remember what did we do what happened yeah um yeah i think it's the most recent trove episode that that happened on and interesting i'll watch out for it yeah see if you can tell at the end that i'm re-recording mine and i i tried really hard but there are some points when i delivered a line and i went back and listened to it more recently and i was like yeah, i was a little bit more like i was enunciating a little bit more than I think I usually do because I was like I had a line and I was reading it but um but yeah this is what I tell people just you know expect there to be issues and, and problems and you're not going to put out a perfect product as much as we as perfectionists would love to put out a perfect product you're not going to do it oh yeah not even perfect I'm not even sure if I'm I have this bad habit of not liking at the end of like what I did what I did even though like some part of me is oh this is so cool I worked so hard of it like the other part of me is Why is that weird sound there? Why did you, why didn't you, why is the, why isn't the music like 0.2 seconds longer? Right. You do, David. And that's the thing is like, for me, and especially initially, that was tough for me because I could hear all the things that I wish I had done. And I just felt like I should have done better. And everyone's telling me like, this is great. You're doing a great job. This is amazing. I'm like, but this one little piece wasn't perfect. So that's tough. It's good to have like supportive cast members. I know that our MC Alex has been very supportive, like my yes man. Uh, whenever <laughs> I release an episode, he's just, oh, this is so cool. You're doing such a great job. I'm mm. like, ah, oh, thanks. This feels good. <laughs> is there any part of like your work? Is there any anything you aren't happy with in your editing style? Is there anything you want to improve upon? Mm, yeah, I think for me, I guess for me, I think it's my pickiness. Because it costs me a lot of time to be that picky. And I don't mean to say like, I'm doing everything great. Like, 
obviously I'm still learning things and there's some like soft skills through GarageBand, things that I'm still trying to learn how to do and do more effectively and efficiently. But for me, it's my pickiness. So I will listen to something and hate it. And I bounce it off of somebody else and they're like, it's perfect. What are you talking about? Like a a sound effect where there's a bump and a bunch of stuff falls off of a cart or something. Mm. I hate it. And (laughs) I just want to be happy with sound effects that I make. So I've learned, and the thing that I've learned to do with this is run it by someone else because it may be that you're just overthinking it. I think that's what I would say for me. I'm I'm really trying to improve on. I know that for me, deadlines really help with that. Because mm-hmm. we usually upload, I am supposed to upload every Tuesday. And if you have one week to edit this kind of stuff, even if you, you think to yourself, I'm not really happy with, you know, the shelf falling over sounds, but you have this clock, you know, if you spend two hours on this one sound clip, you're not going to make it through the rest of the episode. For me, it like it has its ups and downs, obviously, like I can't put as much effort into every tiny little thing but it helped for me with the pickiness of just having like the okay you need to actually do like the you need to think of the whole episode as opposed to this one tiny little thing that probably sounds okay to everyone else yeah exactly that's it um so for us because initially when we started we wanted to do two episodes a month and then when i picked it up and i was new at it and it was taking me so long to edit we decided we're gonna do one a month and Now we're at a point where I could easily say two a month would be doable again. Uh, But it's just, you know, there's a lot of things going on and things in the works right now where, you know, we've got a cast member who's going through some stuff and trying to get his life in some sort of order for him. And so we can't really pick it up and do it a little bit, do more a month because we need to give him as much time as he needs to do the things that he needs to get done. All of that to say, you know, timelines really get you being forced to put something out weekly i can't even imagine the kind of stress you're under <laughs> so. well, you're acting like i'm actually uploading weekly. <laughs> our last episode came out three weeks ago because last week something i think i had like work stress and then this week there was blackout tuesday where we felt like we didn't run a really want to you know clock up people's timeline with as much as we love our stuff just you know an actual play podcast about superpowers and a dead father um mm. uh, yeah so we'll see we'll see uh how the <laughs> i i have a lot of help from you know our mc who has like started to even help up with the editing um mm. so that's been a lot of help you know um, like for the this upcoming episode and the episode after that he's done like the the groundwork editing of you know cutting everything together which is so much work uh, <laughs> of just cutting out looking up a rule or someone going to the toilet or stuff like that mm-hmm. and then i just went over it and you know kind of smoothed it over and um added all the effects and stuff like that so that was was a huge help and we'll we'll see we'll see how it goes and our episodes are also a lot shorter than yours uh-huh. um so that's yeah that's how we how we m- kind of manage maybe yeah, yeah. <laughs> Still, though, I mean, in any given week, you don't really have a whole lot of um, wiggle room, I guess you'd say. You know, if you're doing it biweekly or monthly, you have mm-hmm. you have days of like, okay, there are days that I can't do this or I don't have to do this. So more power to you. That's awesome. You guys are great. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, we'll see. Like, we'll, um, we are planning to pick up um, the pace again, and I'm sure we'll manage somehow. Um, <laughs> but this all sounds a bit negative. I'm sure there's something 
um, about your editing that you feel you've improved upon like greatly? Something that you've gotten really better at through those couple of episodes you've put out. What is that? What is that one thing? I think timing. So there's a certain time and I still don't know what it is, but I think I've gotten the ear for it at this point. When you, something happens and a sound effect happens and when someone's describing it, because, you know, if you're in a visual medium, the sound effect happens as the visual is given, right? But if you're in an audio medium, someone's describing what happened and then a sound effect happens. So sometimes it's more pertinent to put those items underneath someone describing something. Other times it's more pertinent to put it after they describe it, depending on what it is and like how loud it is. That's something that I think I've gotten better at over time. I think transitions um, and the mood setting, I think I've improved on that as well. But finding those good, it's kind of like, you know, have you ever played a video game? Let me put it this way. Have you ever put a video, play, bleh, have you ever played a video game in which there's only one type of music the whole game through and you get really sick of it? So my idea is that basically if the whole episode has the same feel, it should probably not do more than 10 to 20 minutes of that one song in an episode because your listener gets tired of hearing the same music over and over again. So you look for those transitional points and I've gotten better at finding those transitional points between music. So we're going from one thing to another or we're going from one place to another or we're talking about one thing, then we're talking about another thing. So that's something that is really the key to, for me, creating something that is listenable. So yeah. Yeah, no, no, I, I know exactly what you mean. Like the way I think about it a lot of the times is, you know, with our narration, we make those parts of the world appear. So, for example, like at the start of our show, at the very, like at the very beginning, you know, our GM describes kind of a scene of a protest. And I kind of, you know, he first starts, oh, it's a windy day, um, you know, people are gathering. And then I, like, as he describes these things, I'm kind of like trying to fade them in. But then know what you feel like it's a tricky kind of like balance where you don't want to fade them in too soon or people will be confused. Like, what is the sound happening? I don't know. I don't have any context to this. But you also don't want to feel like it's just a, oh, shelf fail over. And then you hear like a rumble um, immediately after that. Right. Exactly. Is there, like looking into the future, is there anything you kind of want to change? Are you like looking to try out new styles or do you just want to kind of consolidate what you're doing the best way you can? So one of the things that we're doing right now for our patrons only, we do, it's a $5 and up. If you're, if you're paying for that, you get these after hours episodes. So these are us playing different types of games and the best thing about that is, is we get very different types of games. So Tessa's amazing and she's doing most of those. However, I've had to pick up a few here and there for various reasons. Sometimes it's content, sometimes it's other things. Um, just sometimes because it's, because it is. Uh, but the ones that I'm working on right now, I actually just started on are a Fear Itself quest. It's a horror game based in the gumshoe system. It is basically your characters in a horror movie. You're not equipped to handle anything that's happening around you. You're not experts in any of the knowledge. So you there's a powerlessness to it. And this one, I think I'm still injecting the sort of sins of the father feel to it to where you'll hear us roll and you'll hear us talk through things. But it is going to have those those sort of horror vibes to it. And I think when you talk about horror and those like tonal sounds, it's something that a lot of people don't realize is what actually causes you to feel nervous in those situations. Yeah. You, so yeah. 
it's like that sub noise. You can lay like the scary, you know, processed guitar string over under anything and it will it will sound scary. And then they talk about like like vibrations. There are vibrations you can feel that make you feel anxious. You don't even know you're feeling. And they they think even so I'm a big horror nerd and a big like supernatural nerd. But they think a lot of times that those can even affect visual. So, you know, people who if there's a weird rumble of machinery in the building next to them, somehow those vibrations affect the hairs in your ears and the your brain in a way that's such that you can imagine something that's not there. So that's the reason that that's how a lot of people try to explain off ghosts and things like that. But the point to what I'm saying is those types of things truly do have this visceral effect to us. So having people feel that the emotion is there, having people feel that the Whatever you're trying to put forward, I think d- diving deeper into that is something that I am super into. I think, um, and with these horror episodes, I would love to do a horror actual play podcast. That would be something that like, that would blow my mind. That'd be something I would love to work on. I watch horror movies all the time and I listen to shows about, you know, UFOs and all that stuff. So if I could get into something else, I think that would be it. Yeah, very, very cool. A lot of people have described Metroponormal um, as eerie. and I. I I love horror and I'm definitely, mm-hmm. you know, trying to lean into the, the scary aspect, even though all of our characters are kind of super powered humans. We do try to hit that powerlessness. We try to make them feel like real persons who are confronted with stuff that is way, way over their head. And that's where I'm kind of trying to lean into. But yeah, I, I really, I, I love horror a lot. <laughs> and yeah, a horror actual play sounds really cool. And I have to, I'll look forward to those episodes you're editing. Can we look forward to anything in Sins of the Fathers? So for example, I think the world is very interesting with this dynamic of humans as, you know, second class citizens. Do you think that's going to be explored more in the future? So one of the things that I think we had, Haravel in and of itself is, you know, the city itself where this sort of caste system exists. We have talked about there are probably areas where that happens still, and there's probably areas where it doesn't happen. And then when I think about this, I think of like, you know, I'm an American. I think about the United States. When we talk about things like racism, we talk about these these problems and issues that do arise in our country. There are areas where it is way worse. Even in the area that I live in, there are towns where I know that certain people of color won't even go to just because of how bad it is. So when, when I think about that, I think there's probably areas on the continent, which the name escapes me right now. I have to pull up my notes, but there are probably areas on the continent where it's really bad and areas on the continents where it's not so bad. And I know that what we're telling with Trove of the Iron Tyrant right now is kind of a, a pre-story to what's happening in Sins of the Father, but it's told by people you've never met before. There are some characters you'll remember, but the area that they're in, it's not really prevalent. So it's something that you don't really see in this story, at least in this part of it, and maybe later on. But yeah, it was an interesting dynamic, and I'm looking forward to exploring more in the future. Yeah, I like I like that a lot. That's like just just another interesting thing about like Sins of the Fathers that I at least am like looking forward to hearing more about. I think you know, speaking on the you know more recent episodes in this side arc we're kind of telling right now, I think people are going to be blown away by this story. I think there's a lot of things in there. That I'm aware of some things, obviously, that I can't say, but I think this story is going to, there's going to be a way that it connects in with the main storyline. And I I think it's going to be truly great. And it's going to blow some minds. Um, And the characters we play on there are also different from the characters we play, the kids that we play. You know, I, I hope it's something that we can still provide to our listeners that is interesting, I guess. 
I have to admit that I I think I found the premise of, you know, the main story a bit more appealing. Yeah. Just because it's so kind of unique. But like what you're saying really wants me to not even give it another shot because I, I was listening uh, to the first episode this um, this morning. But, you know, maybe think about it a bit more. Like, are you guys planning anything in terms of like after um, the, the main story wraps up, like different stories in the same universe? I think that would be something we'd love to do. I think that there's been discussion about what the kid's next step might be. You know, is it going to be a sort of getting the band back together-esque thing that happens later on. And um, that's Jackson's open to talking with us about some plot stuff, but there's some stuff he keeps under wraps. So I am interested to see that as well. I think us keeping it around the kids is good, but I think telling other stories that are happening because this is such an interesting place. He's created this almost sort of, it reminds me of like a Miyazaki film, like Castle in the Sky or something, like this place that is so different than what you see in most fantasy games. I think it, it's probably got tons of stories worth telling. The comparison that came to my mind is the like the original um, three seasons of Avatar. Ah, because it's such a for one this like um, story about you know growing up and growing um, into yourself, mm -hmm. and then it's has a very clear goal, which I personally enjoy, and mm -hmm. which a whole other conversation but which made me like the you know the Ang story of Avatar a lot mm -hmm. more than the Korra story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> That's kind of the comparison, like traveling the world, but with your friends, with your kid friends, but with this very fixed goal, like in the firmament that you're walking towards. Yeah. I, nobody has so far really made that comparison. And it's such an appropriate comparison. I'm going to have to share that with the guys. They, I mean, I'm sure they're listening to this, but they're really going to appreciate that, I think. Is there anything you want to like bring up? Is there anything you want to ask me? I thought about some tips to give to anybody who's considering doing a podcast. So I would say the best and easiest thing that anybody can do is get a decent mic. I think you already put yourself above a lot of what other people are doing by like just investing a little bit of money in a mic. Now you can record through your computer's audio and you can tell a great story and you can tell something that's great. But I think that like, again, like I think blue snowballs right now, I, I think I saw on one website, they're like $66 or $70 or something like that. So, you know, you're not spending a whole lot of money now. That's still a barrier. And if you had told me like five years ago to spend a hundred dollars on a mic, <laughs> I would have looked you like, I couldn't have afforded it. If that's something you can do, do it. I think pop filters are great. Um, just get that audio as clean as it can be raw. And then, then adding your sound effects helps. And I think other than that, it's the time you gotta, you gotta put the time in, you know, if you've got a limited amount of time to do it in, you gotta be as effective as possible. Um, when I started out, I think I was putting in 10 to 12 hours per episode. That's a lot of time on one episode in an hour episode. I don't think I want to think about uh, how much time I spend on that show. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, if it's once you get it down and once you figured out and, you know, you figured out your the system you're using and you've gotten your tools down, you know, I think I'm spending four to five hours an episode now. If it's combat heavy and there's a lot of sound effects, probably six. But you've got to get to that point. If you're an editor and you're trying to do it, you got to get to that point. It's It's a lot of work to get there. And so, you know, I think that was just those are the things that when I think about editing and the things that that keep me from being good at what I do or kept me from being good at what I do. Those would be the things that, that like 
by far were my so-called secret sauce to success or perfection or what I felt was as close to perfection as I could get. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Maybe a slight addition to the microphone thing. Like if you can't afford a mic or if you like most people probably have headsets, webcams, stuff like that. Use your phone. Mobile phones microphones are really good like oh, when wow. i um when we used to record stuff for work we would have like people record either with the memo app or have like open zencaster on their phone and oh, the wow. microphones from like modern um smartphones are really like surprisingly good way better than a laptop microphone or stuff like wow. that you can clean up a lot of noise and stuff like that yeah so even if you can't like obviously a, a microphone is always going to be you know better in the long run but um yeah. And I think the thing that keeps a lot of people from editing is just kind of like the the thought, like the they're scared of it. Like I've, I've talked to a lot of people like who want to start out making an actual play podcast and they're just like editing. I don't know. I don't know how editing works. And it's right. it's not that hard, like most mm. of it. It's mm -hmm. just getting getting started. There are so many like great resources online. Um, it sounds like you're a lot like me in the fact that like someone asked me if I know how to do something. I'm like, no, but I could probably figure it out. Like yeah. there's so many people who have put videos up and there's probably a ton of people out there who would be willing to even talk through what their process is to kind of oh, yeah. give you an in-depth idea of what they do. I'm kind of at a point for me where this is something that I would love to do professionally and get paid to do, but it's something that it's going to take more work for me to get to that point where I can say, okay, here's my portfolio. You know, here's what I can do. Here's what I can't do. Here's what I will do, you know, and get through the whole thing of it. But there are people out there that I'm sure would be willing to share their process. Um, yeah. And I don't, I'm not the type that believes that my process is my secret and I can't tell you what's in my grandma's secret recipe. Uh, I want you to know what this, what the secret sauce is. I want people to succeed. And I don't think we get anywhere being successful by holding each other back, you know? Yeah, and the tabletop role-playing community is so friendly. Like, I know that everyone I've approached was just super helpful and super nice. And I'm sure, like, if anyone's actually listening to this and, like, thinking, hmm, maybe I want to start editing, but I have no idea how, like, be sure to, I mean, send me a message, send people a message, just try to approach people. Yeah, we're here to help, for sure. I think my last question to you is, where can we find all of your stuff? Marlo. Yes. So I am on Twitter. I recently changed my handle. You can find me at M-A-R-L-O-B-O-G-G-W-I-T-C-H. That's Marlo Bogwich on Twitter. I am there. You can find Sins of the Father on pretty much any podcast site. It's in a ton of them. It, there's some that it's not, I found more recently, but Spotify, iTunes, or Apple Podcasts, those are the basics. I think we're also on SoundCloud. I think we're also on Stitcher. I'm not sure. We're on a ton of them. Find us there. Our Patreon is under the Misconceptions Podcast Network. And there you get access to exclusive after hours content. You get uncut audio clips. There are tiers. And if you're over $5, you get the those uncut. You get the side quests we do. We call them side quests. They're really just um, us playing different systems, different games with different people. I'm also... If you follow me on Twitter, you can see what I'm doing as far as Twitch streams. I am on a guesting on a couple things coming up, more than a couple, quite a few things coming up. I've got a bunch of stuff coming down the pipeline for various events and stuff like that. So check me out. And your Patreon is also where your Venture into Horror is going to be released, right? Yes, yes. Those episodes are due to release. I'm not sure when this will come out. So they're due to re release in July. Um, and there are two episodes of that. Um, I GM'd it and... I had some great players and uh, told some pretty horrific things. So 
Cool. Check out all of that. And if you have some time after that, obviously, a Metro Paranormal on pretty much every streaming platform and at Metro Paracast on Twitter. Thank you so much for talking to me, Marlo. It was, of course. I had really fun. I hope we didn't stray from the, from the topic too much. I have to see in editing, I guess. Thank you.